0: bird and if you don't think so you must be absurd
1: thanks for tuning in to hannah and eric go birding a podcast by birders for birders
0: i'm hannah and he's eric
1: and we created this podcast to share our adventures sometimes misadventures and opinions that we have about birding topics we are definitely not experts and anything that we discuss that might be controversial we want you to remember there are our own opinions and they might be different from yours 60
0: episodes and you still say controversial
1: that's the way you say it.
0: I say controversial.
1: Well, it's
0: potato it's, potato. It's, it's a
1: potato tomato situation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we have had um, a beautiful start to you know, December so far. Oh my gosh, We've...
1: we're day two into December and it's been nothing but nothing but sunshine and
0: blue sun. skies and yeah. thirty eight degree weather.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's too cold for clouds. I don't know. I don't know. I'd say I guess it really isn't that cold. I mean, it's, I think, I think it's 40, 49 right now out yeah. there. So that's, I mean, for most of the country, it's kind of warm out there. I suppose, yeah.
0: <laughs> and it sounds like they're still having um, eruptive finches in the East Coast.
1: Yeah, I got the evening gross beaks and the um, pine siskins and all that stuff. That's just like huge numbers everywhere. Well, we're having huge numbers of pine siskins here too. That's
0: true, yeah. And in other rare bird news, um, which we haven't done in a while, uh, but, you know, there's some things popping up right now that we just had to mention because it's rare bird galore, which is a little frustrating because <laughs> I feel like this year has been really good for, um, you know, it's been a really good birding year
1: for like every, not just like the hot spots that we think of, like Texas and Florida and like, um, mcgee marsh and all that stuff arizona. it's arizona like it's everywhere everywhere across the country everywhere across the world it seems like birds are at least
0: that's what we're hearing from people yeah um after the champions of the flyway you know that we were supposed to do in march mm-hmm. in israel um we you know we didn't do it but some of the people who live there they went out birding for their champions of the flyway yeah um since we all did more of a virtual stay in place sort of thing and they just like had huge numbers of things moving around seriously so it's just wild that you know everybody everybody's having like really good sightings this year it's been it's apparently been a very good bird year in some places
1: well even even here we we haven't really with uh being so busy at the hotel and then kind of been hesitant to travel anywhere like even around the state just because of restrictions like we're very like think ahead and plan about when we're gonna go somewhere and what we're gonna do mm-hmm. but um even if if we were had been just traveling regular like Oregon has been having a really good year and Washington and every pretty much everywhere like. It might just be because people are staying home, and so they're burning their patches more that's what seeing more things. That's
0: what I wasn't sure Maybe. about, if it's that or if it's... Yeah, just some... Well, anyways. Yeah, anyways. Um, <laughs> So the thing that sparked this is that there's some really good rare birds right now, including in the Rio Grande Valley. I think all of these are at Estero Llano Grande State Park, um, but they have an elegant trogon, uh, which what was that the 6th or 8th state record i think record. it's the 8th state record for texas um they have a dusky cap flycatcher and crimson-colored grosbeak so that park right now is
1: just is there, a hot pl- people always spot. find good stuff at Estero. it's
0: a great park but it's just amazing to have like three rare birds like that
1: yeah well and, and like last month they had a blue grosbeak out at the out at south padre island yeah. down in the rio grande valley so that's bir- birds are showing up even if birders aren't out there to to count them or Um, not or very many birders out there to count them. (laughs) Someone counted them.
0: Um, And then in Arizona, they're seeing eared quetzal, which has been there for a couple months Hmm. at this point and kind of moving around different places. And then they did have the one in New Mexico um, earlier in the fall. And then also in Arizona near Tucson and Northern Chicana, which has been there and streak back Oriole. So um, yeah, if you haven't gotten out into your patch to, see what's popping up make sure to do so because you might have something cool yeah it's it's been a peculiar year for bird movement
1: yeah it's super exciting that there's all these all these things showing up and people are either seeing them in their backyards or maybe they're going to other people's backyards and seeing them
0: i'm so jealous though i want i really (laughs) want to go to one of these places and see all these cool things have a
1: have a backyard with an elegant trogon. yes (laughs) <laughs> I mean, we have, we have, we have song sparrows. I mean, there's, or we have, we have white crowns too. I mean, there'd be some people around the country Ooh. who'd be pretty excited for a white crown sparrow in their backyard. That's
0: true. I know. I get jaded. Like...
1: Well, there's white-throated sparrows well, every once in a while right When here. we were
0: talking to our friends about Anna's hummingbirds, and they were like, oh, well, you know, it's amazing. You can go to the West Coast, and there's just Anna's hummingbirds. And it's like, so?
1: <laughs> yeah, well...
0: They dive bomb us.
1: <laughs> it's not that exciting. <laughs> I, I think... Oh my gosh. So I tangent about hummingbirds I so there's all these all these pictures I don't know if it's on if it's what what Facebook page it's on but I keep seeing like people posting like uh, pictures of birds with junk in their trunk and it's uh birds when they're in a weird position so it has like their um their rump showing like super high so like you know the Kim Kardashian photo with like they like broke the internet like 10 years ago or whatever where she's like like pouring wine over her head, and it's like this oh, Photoshop thing, and yeah. it's like, and her wine glass sitting on her butt. Yeah, so like, that, I'm
0: so surprised you know about that.
1: I, people, I think, I think I saw that just recently with one of the, in reference to one of these pictures. Okay. but the the junk in your trunk birds, like I have noticed, like I, I saw a bunch of pictures of people posting hummingbirds that like kind of look like that situation of that body posed. posture. Yeah, and I've never seen a, a hummingbird actually do it, but yesterday I was watching an Anna's hummingbird do exactly that. So it was like the beak was pointed down into the into the into the flower mm-hmm. and then its back was like super inwardly arched and then his rump was sticking up and his tail sticking down so <laughs> it was just like it, it looked exactly like that picture with kim kardashian in the in the champagne or whatever oh my gosh i was like oh my gosh that's ridiculous i've never seen it in person i've I've only i've seen tons of pictures of it but yeah weird weird hummingbird tangent over
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> okay Um, so Christmas bird counts start in the next couple weeks. So, uh, make sure to check your pat, your local count if, um, you want to participate. And we talked about this in the last episode, but we just wanted to, to mention it too. Um, but yeah, make sure to check yours to see if it's still happening. A lot of counts that we've looked at are only accepting people who have done it in the past with that. Mm-hmm. that count or and, they're just canceled entirely.
1: Yeah. So mo- most of them that I've seen, like our, our local count, ca- the count that's m- as local to us as possible, um, just North of the mouth of the Columbia river. Um, he, he announced it's only open to people that are on the currently get the list. And I think it's to try to limit the um, number of interactions anyone has, um, keep people from interacting too much. He had a whole g- list of stipulations as to how he wants data submitted and all all that stuff. So, if you've already done a CBC in the past, um, you'll probably be getting contact from those people because I think a lot of them are contacting past people just to try to keep their keep their circle going. But there are a number of them that have just canceled just because it's it's too uh, too complicated too complicated and cumbersome for them to be able to do it, or maybe they're not tech savvy enough to be able to um, gather this information through everyone through email and all that. So yeah, check check your local um check your local audubon check the um, cbc website at uh on the audubon web or the cbc page on the audubon website or just check your local uh listservs they probably have lots of information about that
0: so um that's it for news uh we did have a review eric would you like to read that one
1: yeah so they say um an entertaining and informative podcast i found your podcast prior to my recent trip from central florida to northern georgia Your easy but informative banter really helped me pass the time on my solo drive. As I went back into your archive, I discovered that you used to live in Florida, and you have birded some of my favorite spots. Your interview with Greg Miller is definitely my favorite episode yet. Now I look forward to listening as I am on my way to my next birding adventure from Central Florida Birder. I pronounced their name right.
0: Good job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Greg Miller was one of my favorite episodes too, but just because he's just such an interesting person. And
1: he's so ha- he was so happy, like just like a, a really jolly guy. To yeah. Sit down, and talk with.
0: Yeah. So thank you, Central Florida birder, and everybody else who has uh, rated and reviewed us mm-hmm. in the past. We really appreciate it.
1: And I appreciate someone calling it an archive, as if it's something that it. <laughs> So, something, it's that, important. something that's important it's an archive going back into the archives
0: uh, i miss florida um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i definitely hope we can get back there semi-regularly and burn some of those hotspots spots again
1: yeah maybe in the future yeah soon
0: mm-hmm. hopefully maybe <laughs> um, so our top listenership for the last episode Number one is Lake Stevens, Washington Which I have something to say about that And then yeah. number two is Blackheath, England So thank you guys for tuning in and and listening uh, The thing about Lake Stevens, Washington So we're hosted through Buzzsprout Which is a podcast hosting so It's who I pay for our podcast yeah, to it's, happen
1: it, It's who holds it's, We pay for server space for them to host it So they essentially store the data for our podcast And then they distribute it out to all the different podcast services.
0: Anyways, so there's a Facebook page for all of the podcasters that are on Buzzsprout to, like, you know, ask questions and things like that. And one of the questions recently was about how Lake Stevens, Washington is their um, number one listener. And then all these other podcasters that are totally unrelated to us. The only thing we have in common is Buzzsprout. Is Is that we Um, podcast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They have all been, like, Lake Stevens, Washington is my biggest listener. So everybody's kind of, I don't know. We're all thinking there's some sort of conspiracy about Lake Stevens, Washington. You guys all listening in, um, like that maybe it's routed through like an Amazon server and then gets distributed out that way. Like the
1: location services might be broken.
0: Yeah. So none of us know, but they're.
1: <laughs> but if you're from Lake Stevens, Washington, please send us an email at hen- er- birding at gmail.com. To
0: tell us that you're actually there and you're
1: actually listening. <laughs> <laughs> to tell us that there are people, that Lake Stevens is a real place and that there are people listening.
0: Well, anyways, <laughs> so everybody on the Sprout forum is now saying like we need to have our 2021, um. Conference At Lake Stevens, Washington Because apparently that's where all our listeners are So the thing you're all here To discuss with us today Is this very curious And beautiful species Of owl that some people Are lucky to see Some people are lucky to see them more often than others Um, We have only seen Once at this point And it is a snowy owl
1: Ten years of birding, we've seen one And we live kind of north compared to a lot of people
0: Yeah (laughs) Um, so snowy owls, they're, you know, just a really curious bird that has birders and non-birders alike just fascinated with. I mean, they're a large white bird that is just iconic, you know? And And they
1: stick out like a sore thumb pretty much no matter where you're at. There's, I mean, if, if it is heavily snowing somewhere, they'll probably blend in a little bit, but for the most part, anyone, anyone that's going to see it, it's going to be sitting on on a log sitting on a rock or something in the middle of the tundra with grass around it like just a bright white bird and brown (laughs) ground all around it like sticking out for sure
0: so, a little about the life history of owls. Um, the snowy owls, they start to breed in May on the open tundra around all around the Arctic Circle. And they may stay on the breeding grounds throughout the year. Um, however, others may migrate south into the northern half of the continental U.S. And looking at eBird, if you look check out the map, um, you'll see that they, they typically do kind of hit different spots along the Canada um, north... Or, along the Canada-United <laughs> States border, yeah. uh, but tyf- typically they're seen more like in the eastern half of the U.S. along that border.
1: Yeah, so looking at the Sibley Guide for uh, the range map, it's it looks like it's pretty evenly all the way across the U.S.-Canada border, um, a little bit less in Washington um, and Idaho, but all of Montana, all of North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, all of those states all the way across but uh, then looking at the range map on eBird of actual sightings that are reported through eBird, it's mostly focused, like, North Dakota and east. But, uh, but yeah, they're, they pretty much make up the border between U.S. and Canada for their sightings, especially in the winter.
0: And they're the largest North American owl, um, and they can actually weigh a maximum of 6.5 pounds, which, you know... I, I know that birders know that birds actually don't weigh that much, but it's a large bird. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the only way is six and a half pounds yeah. because, you know, it's mostly feathers.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and feathers don't weigh that much, but they're great at insulating. But like to think that they have so many feathers, so densely insulated that they weigh six and a half pounds. That's that's pretty, pretty spectacular. And yeah, like bird weights is just I I've been, we've been birding forever for forever for 10 years. And, (laughs) and I still can't wrap my head around how much birds weigh. Like it's always, it's always a shock when I'm, when I read and they say, Oh, it's the heaviest this. And it's only like eight (laughs) pounds. And it's like, It's not very heavy. Like, my cat weighs more than that.
0: Well, and I I don't know if you've seen this meme, but there's, like, this meme of a little girl holding, I think it's an owl, Mm -hmm. and she looks really mad and ferocious, and then she's holding the owl up, and it says something about, like, live your life the way this girl holds the owl or something like that. I'll have to find it and see if I can toss it in there. But you know she's like a child, and holding up this big, huge bird on her arm that you think like, oh, how can she do that? She's yeah. so strong. But I mean, it's only but, a yeah, handful of pounds.
1: Only a couple of pounds. Yeah, and it's it's just always hard to remember that they have to fly, so they have to be light. Yeah, they're full. They're full of air. They have air in the bones, air in the air sacs. Like most of their body is just air. Yeah, but it's still big, and so it's it's just the the perception versus what is actually there for the weight. Well. What if
0: they were filled with helium?
1: They're just, like, negatively buoyant, so that, so they have to, like, push, they have to fly down to stay on the ground. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Cl- they clamp onto branches so they don't fly away. <laughs> I guess that wouldn't be negatively buoyant. That would be, like, super buoyant.
0: That would be, like, me scuba diving <laughs> or fighting
1: to not... I can't sink no matter what I do. I'm, I just hold on to the bottom here.
0: Yeah. Um, Anyways... <laughs> So they're not uh, pure white, but they can be arranged from white to black and white with more prominent barring um, everywhere except the face. And females typically have more dark markings than males do.
1: Yeah, and they, from from what it seems like, the darking the darkings, the markings get lighter as they age. Um, so a young female is going to be darker than an adult female, and the same with a male. They'll be they'll be darker and then turn to almost pure white or in some cases completely pure white as an adult male.
0: And another thing about them is that they cannot move their eyes. Um, which is something about all owls. Yeah, it's pretty sta- pretty standard among owls. And so that's why people seem to think, you know, that they can turn their head 360 degrees um, because they have to move their head mm-hmm. to look at things with their eyes since they can't move them. Uh, but they can only, I think it's 270 degrees from like shoulder to shoulder. Well, just over your shoulder well, cause, to cause over we, your we, other shoulder. We,
1: we have 180. Yeah. So humans can turn 180 degrees. You can turn your head looking from your right shoulder over to your left shoulder. So you have 180 degrees of... Um, head movement and then your eyes can move a little bit further so then you you can see a little bit further around around the corner as as you could say for people around around your own corner um but then owls they can turn not to straight behind them but a little bit further than straight behind them for 270 so it's not a full 360 Mm -hmm. but they can
0: so you could almost sneak up on one you
1: could well they, they, they there's overlap when they when they turn their head all the way around yeah but they can't turn from one side and go all the way to the other all the way forward again it's not not the full but there there is overlap so they can see all the way around them
0: um and with snowy owls their eyes are just like a glowing like deep yellow which is striking compared to their their white feathers it's it's
1: striking but then because their eyes stick out so much when they do weird squints and stuff like that it makes their it makes their face look so silly
0: (laughs) they're pretty (laughs) derpy owls um And because they live in such cold places, they can get down to, like, negative 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Their feet are covered with fine fur-like feathers. So it looks like, you know, they're wearing, like, snowshoes.
1: Yeah, so negative 80, that's, like, 100 degrees colder than it is today.
0: (laughs) That sounds horrible.
1: (laughs) Like, we we were literally just saying about how it's kind of cold outside. No, that's
0: 120 degrees difference.
1: Okay, well you you're the you're, you do the numbers. I, I do other stuff. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, it's like yeah, we go outside now and it's like oh, it's kind of a little bit cold. I'm gonna put on a jacket and it's like oh no, hundred. That's what I don't go, get. going to eighty degrees below below zero. When, like what the heck?
0: When that's people insane. talk about like living in Minnesota or something like that, and it's like oh, it's negative thirty They're today. Living
1: through a blizzard or something in, Why? in the Arctic. Hi. Like and, and these these birds are just kind of hanging out, doing their thing.
0: And we considered moving there at one point in time. Did we? I did. Yeah. I don't well, know if you, you were invited.
1: You, you hate cold places, though.
0: I know, but That's I... That's why we went
1: to Texas and Florida. I
0: know, but they had a job that I really wanted. <laughs> oh, I see.
1: So, um, these birds, these owls, they, um, they eat lots of different things. Mostly focusing on uh, small mammals. So, voles, lemmings, um, mice, other... Small moles rodents. And, and other things that are kind of kind of trying to hide away from the cold winters. And they can actually eat some birds too. Really? Yep. Oh, I didn't read that.
0: Yep.
1: <laughs> That's interesting. So um so they'll eat they'll eat birds and r- rodents and all sorts of things um throughout the breeding season and up up in or throughout all their year, but in the breeding season up <laughs> No, and, they only eat
0: they in the breeding only season. Only eat in
1: the breeding season. The other nine months out of the year they,
0: they're like whales. They, they fast. Yeah,
1: they fast for nine months. Yeah. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> but up in the, during the breeding season up in the Arctic where they're breeding, um, they have, the daylight is 24 hours or close to 24 hours a day of the sun being up. Um, the owls hunt during the day essentially. So they're, they're diurnal or crepuscular. Or, I don't,
0: well, I think everything's diurnal. Yeah. Like when it's 24 hours of, I know, of you, you sunlight. Can't, you
1: can't not be, yeah, you, you have, you have to, you have to be able to hunt during the day. So they,
0: so is that a thing? I mean, like, cause in the winter, you know, then it's 24 hours of darkness, So are you like, are you half diurnal and half nocturnal?
1: I don't know. So snowy owls, it's like, I have spent like the last like four or five days like trying to find something that nails it down exactly. And this is what they are. They are, but they, from from everything I can find, we found a website um, called Snow Project, which is all about um, focusing on um, learning about snowy owls. Um, But everything I could read was kind of like, well, yeah, they're diurnal, but they're also nocturnal and also crepuscular. Kind of like they, <laughs> they, they just like hunt when they're hungry. Somebody like... <laughs> give us an
0: answer. We need an answer.
1: Yeah, so they're not. Um, it's not like something like northern hawk owls or northern uh, pygmy owls that are very strictly diurnal and mm-hmm. they they go to completely go to sleep at night.
0: And the, or like spotted owls or barred owls or something that's like day, you know, nighttime. Yeah. is when they're.
1: it's um... so they're not very like very set on the daytime. It's kind of, it kind of seems like when they're hungry, they just go and eat.
0: So they're opportunistic. Yeah. So they're not really anything. They're just opportunists.
1: Yeah. It, it kind of seemed, from, from what I was reading, mostly crepuscular. So, so which means um, dawn and dusk.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, when there's waning light. When there's
1: waning light. So that kind of seems like that was the majority of the time that they do their hunting. Mm-hmm. But also, they'll hunt in the day, they'll hunt at night. And it's, it's just, I think, very largely a product of where they breed. And they also often winter there too. So it's daytime 24 hours a day and then nighttime 24 hours a day. So it's kind of, they're just kind of forced out of where they grew up.
0: Yeah. This is a species that that does periodically have eruptions in which, you know, that they will move outside of their range. Mm-hmm. Um, and 2013 and 2014 was the biggest eruption in decades of snowy owls. And that helps scientists learn more about eruptive years with owls um, when they travel far south, like Texas and Florida. And actually, we had one in um, Oregon mm-hmm. in 2013. We, we got married in 2013. and
1: A lot of important things happened. <laughs> eruptive snowy owls, we got married.
0: Um, but just like a month after we got married, one showed up on the Oregon coast mm-hmm. very close to where we live now and it was there gosh it was there maybe a couple weeks or so um That's hanging a, out at Fort Stevens State Park I thought
1: it was like a couple months but maybe I don't think it was that long it wasn't long okay um
0: but we went up to go see it and we dipped on it which was super frustrating um so yeah lots of things happened that year <laughs> um but, you know, because there was all of these eruptions during that year of snowy owls, scientists were able to learn a lot of interesting things about them. And like Eric had talked about that Project Snowstorm, this is... um the...
1: Snowstorm? I might have not said the right thing.
0: I don't think you did. But, <laughs> yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but they learned a lot of really interesting things about the species based on that eruption as well as, you know, just other observations of the species.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's not only um, the snowy owl eruptions that help figure out the science, but what, what we were talking about at the beginning with the um, the Finch eruption through the through the winter, those sorts of things are basically the same type of eruption, the same same cause behind them. So it's the, all of those are informing each other mm-hmm. as to learning how how and why birds suddenly are outside of their normal range for one year in giant numbers.
0: So one of the things that they learned is that the snowy owls are part of a prey abundance cycle. And that's something that if you, you know, have taken biology that the, they like to talk about, you know, like hairs and, uh, bobcats, like, or mm-hmm. you know, one of those predator species, they have these cycles that when there's a lot of hares, then the bobcats hunt those, and then the next year there's not as many hares, but there's more bobcats, and then a lot of the bobcats die, and then the hares go back up, and on and on and on, and so it's, it's this big cycle of how the the interconnectedness of these species, and so snowy owls are part of a cycle like this as well, and, and with lemming populations. So lemming populations drive the success or failure each year, and they may actually cause the owls to skip breeding seasons entirely based on um, poor populations of the lemmings.
1: Yeah, or or like with with your first example of the of the bobcats, like double their output. Or mm-hmm. I think I think I saw one that's one one of the instances that there was nine eggs in one in yeah. one nest, and it's yeah. like that is a ton of eggs for an owl. But mm-hmm. but if the but if there's enough lemmings and enough food to support that, then they. They do what they can, because that's the whole reason for a species, is to breed.
0: Yeah. So. And so eruptions may occur due to highly productive breeding cycles, like an abundance of lemon, lemmings.
1: Abundance of lemons? <laughs> so good (laughs) that sounds so much lemonade i'm gonna make
0: lemon bars um (laughs) an abundance of lemmings drives invasions of owls so this was recognized because a lot of the individuals of the eruptive owls are first-year owls or immatures and so it shows that increased breeding levels cause a major part in these eruptions so like there's a lot of lemmings, which are causing the owls to have more babies. And then when the babies, you know, grow up, mm-hmm. then they start moving out to find different areas to live.
1: Yeah, so it's not necessarily what a lot of the um older myths about this are about. It's not that they're starving and they're trying to find food. It's that there was so much food they bred, and this is just natural um dispersion. So you have the young that are getting pushed off of their parents' um, grounds. Yeah. And so then they just have to go find their own grounds. It's not necessarily that they're starving, but there's just no space for them because the population is so dense right there.
0: Well, and because it's the winter, you know, Mm -hmm. and they they require colder habitats Mm -hmm. and so winter starts to come into north america and so they're able to follow follow that yeah yeah, that and also snowy owls are highly mobile species and so that helps them move to locate areas with abundant prey items for their young and so they're just naturally mobile Mm -hmm. unlike the you know rentits that i think we've talked about in a previous episode that don't you know go more than like a quarter mile i I think from their from their from
1: their nest that they're born from. Yeah. yeah. So snowy
0: owls, they can migrate thousands, or you know, move not migrate thousands of kilometers or miles um, to find these areas that have lots of prey species. Because if they can't find those, you know, or if they stay in one place and they <laughs> eat all the lemmings out of that one place, it's going to take a couple years for the population to rebound.
1: Well, and you think of um, the density and the abundance of anything like up in the far north arctic like you're not there's the density of vegetation is significantly lower so that means the density of herbivores is lower so then the owls eating those herbivores is going to be lower so they have they have to travel great distances in order to find enough food
0: like albatross. Yeah. You know, that they have to when they have a baby on, you know, Midway Island or something like that, they have to travel thousands of miles to find mm-hmm. enough squid and all those other things that they eat to to fill up their babies because there's there's so low abundance of their prey species throughout the landscape.
1: Yeah. But there there is lots of them out there, but the landscape is so huge, the abundance is low. It's kind yeah. of
0: which isn't necessarily yeah. the same for owls. Um, there might be, you know, family of lemmings. Yeah, <laughs> in no, one they're, and place. They're,
1: yeah, there could be groups, and that's what this um, abundant, this prey abundance uh, cycle like leads to. Is that oh, well, when they are high, then they don't have to travel as far, so they have more time to care for the young, and so then you get more.
0: Well, and it's also so they can like they'll move their nest based on like a good, you know, they'll find a place that has high population, mm-hmm. and so then they'll have their nest there that yeah.
1: year. So as as I mentioned with Sibley, the, the range maps of um snowy owls show them in the north northern section of the United States, the northern uh the first row of states all the way across the border <laughs> the essentially. The border states. The border states. The northern border states. Um but when they're eruptive, they show up all 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 sorts of other places, down into Texas, into Florida. Um Oregon. Oregon, yep. We we are in the, the, the quote-unquote rare section oh. of the of the Sibley's range map that it has there. Okay. But they, like, rare, so that would be, like, the eruptive years is mm-hmm. when they show up here. So so that's that's super exciting that they're here. But if you want to know more information about how they're tracking, how they're tracking their movements and how um, they're kind of mapping these eruptions and um, just regular range cycles and regular, um, like, behaviors of snowy owls, Project Snowstorm is something that is, Pretty fascinating to read read all about what they were doing, and it started back in 20, 2014 when they started tracking these owls. So
0: oh, when the big eruption when, happened. The, when the
1: big eruption that's when they started the whole project Snowstorm. So that was that was and S N O W is the um, the four letter um banding code for them. So that's kind that's of fun. Yeah, S N O W Storm or <laughs> Snowstorm. So it's snowy owl. Yeah.
0: So there's some <laughs> other things to consider if you do have an owl in your area, or you're going to go look for these owls. Um, You know, snowy owls and all owls in general are species that people want to see. Whether they're birders or they're non-birders, people love owls. Um, But they're also species, you know, that can be over-exploited in terms of, like, uh, visitation or photography. And There there
1: just aren't very many. Owls just aren't abundant anyways. Even if if it's like, oh, this is an area that's really good for owls, there'll be, like, a total of, like, three individuals. So it's, like, there's a large impact... Like per, per, owl. per owl sees a larger number of people than something like a varied thrush or something or something I was like that. Say
0: varied thrush too.
1: <laughs> well, they're really good looking birds, <laughs> but like not a lot of people are like hunting and like really trying to find the photo of a varied thrush and trying to chase it down. So they're they're a little bit more sensitive just because they're lower in numbers, along with many other factors of them of the being owls.
0: So because of this, um, the black swamp bird observatory in Ohio and coffin field guides, they came up with a information sheet about safely viewing owls. And we'll just kind of go through some of them too, but we'll also include the, uh, notes in the,
1: Yeah, I'll I'll include a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, so
0: you can check it if you'd like. Um, But snowy owls, you know, they're uncommon and are regular visitors, and they tend to favor open areas that look like the tundra. And those may include perching on the ground or barns um, or utility poles is where a lot of people see them. And they are in unfamiliar surroundings, and they can be stressed and uh, become hungry, you Mm -hmm. know, if people are bothering them too much and they're not able to hunt. And they have in here that these owls typically hunt at night and rest in the daytime. Uh, but like we've already kind of talked about, you know, that in the winter, in the, when they're up in their breeding grounds, mm-hmm. then they will, you know, be in 24 hour daylight. But, you know, it's just important to take care of these species and, and not bother them anyways. So... Approaching them too closely can make them fly and deplete their energy reserves that they have. So just make sure when you do see these species to take care and, and note its um, behavior.
1: Yeah. So in addition to just uh, keeping keeping your distance and um, just paying attention to their behavior there's a number i think it was uh, nine different um bullet points that they hit kind of outline general rules that are all great to follow that kind of give you a guideline that you can then jump off from to behave around um snowy owls or any owl in general so um they say you want to keep quiet maintain a respectful distance if the owl reacts to your presence then you are too close Never approach or harass an owl with the intention of making it fly.
0: I think just don't do that to any, to any bird. bird. We get people all the time here on the yeah. beach that run their dogs through the the goals and think that's super cool. But, I mean, that's just kind of a rude thing to do. Like, don't yeah. make me get up if I don't have to, you yeah. know?
1: It's, it's unnecessarily making something terrified for its life and flying away. Yeah, Like, that's that's just stupid. Um, do not attempt to call, lure, or bait an owl to get it to come closer to you. Um, be respectful of private property boundaries and nearby residents. I
0: think that's just pretty good rule anyways for that's birders.
1: Definitely a good rule. Just in general for anyone. Like, yeah.
0: Don't go um, on a private property unless yeah. you're in Sweden.
1: <laughs> um, be respectful of your fellow observers. That's something that's important, especially now during COVID. Like.
0: Respect their distance. Respect
1: people's distances and mask up. and
0: don't go around and be like the know-it-all rude person.
1: Yeah. Being loud and annoying. Um. So don't be allowed because of your fellow observers or because of the owl. Kind yeah. of a twofer there. Um, do not create a hazard by stopping in the middle of the road or... <laughs> that's another pretty that's, good rule. <laughs> all, all of these are kind of general rules for just birding. Um, if you witness someone um, harassing an owl, contact the authorities. Um, I think that goes with any bird a, also. A wildlife. Any wildlife. Um, don't put
0: a baby bison in the back of your car.
1: Exa- yeah. people. Um, be an ambassador and help others enjoy um, owls and other birds uh, responsibly. And then the final thing isn't really a, um, a guideline to follow, but it's kind of a, just a thing to think about is there's no picture or closer view that's worth the welfare of an owl. Like if, if you're going to kill an owl, because you're just getting too close to it, that's just, that's not worth it. Yeah. Like, seriously, that's, that's, stupid.
0: Yeah. Your picture, what are you going to, are you going to make money on your picture? Yeah. No, well, probably and you, not. <laughs> and even
1: if you make money on your picture, are you, are you going to make enough money to, that it's like, Oh, it was worth killing a snowy owl. Yeah. That. That's seriously. not, that's not worth it. None of that's worth it. So just be respectful. If you go out, if you, if you know of an owl that's in your area, you need to be aware that probably a hundred other people have gone to see this owl or a thousand other people have gone to mm-hmm. see this owl. So it's already been under stress. So you want to limit anything It limit any additional stress that you can cause, that you can create. Um, don't be posting locations of nests. Like there's, there's a lot of guidelines to, a lot of good guidelines to follow that, that aren't necessarily covered in this specific list. But, uh, but this is, like I said, this is a great jumping off point to start the talk about owling ethics.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I'll post that in the show notes so you can, uh, view that at your leisure and maybe, I mean, post it online too. Yeah, share it
1: all over the place and...
0: And that's where you found it. You found it on the... I found it on Facebook. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, somebody, I think it was the Black Swamp Observatory shared it and I, I saw it there.
0: Yeah, so, um... One of our listeners, uh, so there's been an owl hanging out in the Seattle area, Mm -hmm. which we've talked about. And um, one of our listeners is from the Seattle area and messaged us about the intersection between rare bird ethics and reinforcing exclusion and gatekeeping. She said that she had posted on a, a Washington birder uh, Facebook page that about the snowy owl, and it was deleted because they had directed people to go onto eBird or another page to find the location, and that is against the community rules to give a location or direct someone how to find the location of that certain species.
1: Yeah. So this,
0: it's we were it, talking about it before, and yeah. it's it's kind of a confusing topic. It's it's
1: a really sticky situation. So there are there are tons of species. There's not tons. There's a lot of species, great gray owls or um, spotted owls and stuff like that, that eBird has designated are sensitive enough to not share the location. So you can't find the locations of these birds. The
0: specific location. The specific
1: location. You, you can find a, a two kilometer by two kilometer square, and that's as close as you'd be able to find. I think maybe it's five by five. But anyways, you, you can only find it down to a certain square mm-hmm. um, that, you can, that you can see. This is generally, it's in the forest here. So you can't get an actual specific location on these. Snowy owls are not one of the species that are included in the sensitive species. Um, I think it's, it's just been a kind of a, a random... It's not completely random. There There is some science that goes behind why they've decided so, some species are sensitive, some are not sensitive. Well, and
0: these are highly mobile owls, so it's, yeah. it, like it's going to move yeah, around. Yeah,
1: ex- exactly. And so it's kind of, like I said, it's like a sticky situation. Some species are going to be very sensitive to people coming and looking for them. Some Mm -hmm. are going to be less sensitive. Some that are less sensitive can get over chased. And then now they're,
0: they're,
1: they're being harassed now. So it's kind of, uh, whoever's admitting any Facebook page kind of has to make an arbitrary distinction as to when sharing information is okay. And when sharing information is not okay, um this particular owl in um, Seattle, the information for finding it is in a lot of places mm-hmm. there's there's a listserv, there's Eber that you can find it. It's very easy to find it's been in on the newspaper. It's, been, it's yeah, the local newspapers even our our newspaper, I feel like um in the Portland area has talked has, about has talked about the snowy owl in Seattle so well, it's... and I'm
0: sure it was on the you know on the news mm-hmm. um it yeah all over the place Facebook
1: yeah it's it's a very. It, the the news and the newspaper don't give, like, an exact, like, these are the cross street that you can go find it at. Yeah. But they give, like, oh, it's in the Queen Anne neighborhood. So you, you know the general neighborhood that it's in. About the same as what you would know if it was a sensitive species on eBird. Mm-hmm. But the um our friend on Facebook, um she they posted, like, oh, go to eBird if you want to find it. And then the post got deleted. So it's... it's- yeah,
0: and it's not to say that if it's posted on the newspaper or if it's posted mm-hmm. in the news that it's okay then to share the location of it because yeah, that's like true. that's you know the news and ebert or and um like the newspaper they're not going to have a bird biologist necessarily on tap that can tell you like the it's good, tell them, good like,
1: or not good to share this yeah information. so I yeah. mean that's
0: not like the end all be all that's true but species like this you know they like eric said they're or like we've said you know mm-hmm. they're highly mobile there's a lot of information about where that species is so it's not like this one post being deleted is gonna take out all of the information for yeah. where it is
1: but then there's it, it brings up the um the gatekeeping aspect of it of you have to be in the know to find out the information mm-hmm. and you can't get into the know unless you somebody know someone, lets you in so, in and the unless know. someone lets you in and it's kind of It's a a slippery slope as to when, when do you not tell people the information? When do you tell people information? How many people are allowed to be in the know? Which, it's I I think if people are all following the proper ethics, which I know not everyone does, but those that don't oftentimes get called out to their, and and especially in in sightings like this, get called out to their face. Like, what the heck are you doing? Like, get stop being a a jerk. Yeah. Um, But. I, as long as people are following the ethics, I don't see any reason why to censor some like c- censor something like snowy owls, like the well, location of that. And
0: you know, the post might be like somebody's initial um, introduction into birding. Yeah, they might have joined Washington Birders because they saw you know the post about the snowy owl, mm-hmm. and so they're. They're super excited they want to go see it. Yeah, and they're continuing their education. But if they don't know about eBird, if they don't know about the listserv, if they don't know about all these resources and, you know, somebody is trying to give them resources and be actively, Mm -hmm. um, you know, those resources being shut out for them, then that might, you know make them decide like oh well this isn't for me like you know people I can't find the help that I need or something like that exactly it
1: discourages someone from joining the community
0: so that's that's where I mean I get that there's a rule that says on the community page like don't give people the location of these species Mm -hmm. or you know don't help them find the location but I don't know if I I feel like that's kind of a
1: a silly rule it's a a sticky I, I think it's a sticky situation as to like you don't like so if someone posted pictures of great gray owls and they they have pictures that they posted that were obviously flashed and obviously baited and then they don't they don't take that that picture down, but they take down a picture of someone saying where a snowy owl is.
0: But okay I, I don't
1: know. But <laughs> like
0: on the listserv, like the listserv gives you specific directions as to how to find the species. That's true. So why is it that this Facebook page is like, Oh, well, you know, you can't you can't connect the listserv with this? So
1: like, do they do they does this Facebook page remove all posts that make any reference to the listserv?
0: I don't I or don't, is it
1: just when it's in reference to this is where you can find the information?
0: I don't know. That would be something we'd have to find so out. Yeah, but I to. mean it says the community rule is that you can't give a location or direct people how to find the location of certain species. So because mm-hmm. she suggested, hey, go look at the listserv, yeah, they cut that out because um, the listserv has a specific location.
1: Hmm.
0: so I mean it's I feel like it's blocking people from getting the information but then it's also like is it being done to protect the species or is it
1: or is it being done just to be the one that's in charge and has the power
0: I don't know I kind of feel like that a lot on Facebook right now
1: (laughs) I don't know well it's we we've it's COVID and we've all been we've all been stuck on the internet like all day every day like when we're when we're when we're not burning our local patches, we're just sitting and looking at things on the internet, so.
0: Yeah, I just feel it's like just, people, I think people are
1: starting to get down each other's, get get up each other's spines, like.
0: <laughs> I just feel like, you know, I don't know. We, but it, I think it's a it's a complicated subject, too. But I think there could have been a um, waiver, you know, on this situation. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it's not like the information's hard to find. So yeah. it's just one Facebook page that's prohibiting the information be- from being spread. Or I'm sure there's many other Facebook yeah, pages that, that do that, d- too. Yeah, there's probably a bunch that have the same But, role. I mean, is that necessarily, like, a good a good rule to have? Like, I mean, what if, like, a, you know, Northern Fulmer sh- shows up or something like that? Like, just because it's, you know, not a super common species or something like that, and somebody asks where it's at. Like, are they going to take out that same post? like if it's a different species
1: yeah i I don't know we'd have to go back and and look at the specific Facebook page and see if they delete all posts to show that ask about locations like somebody says oh I saw this red tail hawk which red tail hawks are a dime a dozen in this area like I saw this red tail hawk and then somebody says where is that and they say, oh it's at such and such park yeah does that post get deleted because they said what where the location of this bird is
0: well, I mean it would have to if uh if that's the
1: if that's the case yeah yeah Follow, follow the same rules for everyone, for every post. Anyways, we um just went to see that owl. <laughs> we did.
0: <laughs> Long story short. Long story we,
1: short, we went and saw this owl.
0: We went and saw this owl. So um this snowy owl has been being seen in uh Seattle since early November and it has been driving us wild because we want to go see this species. And mm-hmm. it's something, like I said, that, you know, one showed up here in 2013 and we really wanted to see it, but dipped on it. So we are like, we were getting up and we were going and, and seeing it.
1: we've been, I feel like we've been kind of on the cusp of where we could go chase a snowy owl, like forever. <laughs> like everywhere we go, it's like there was, there was one in 2018 in, um, West Texas, which I was a long way, long, long ways from yeah, us Yeah.
0: Like nine hours.
1: Yeah. But. Like, there's, there's been just kind of these sporadic sightings that it's like, oh, that's that's almost close enough that we could, like, go chase it if we had, like, a full weekend to go do something. Like, go do this. or But we just haven't had a chance to go chase an owl, ch- go chase a snowy owl.
0: So, anyways, this we... this time we did. Yeah, so we got up first thing in the morning, um, pff, hit the road, went drove up to Seattle. I mean, not much yeah. to say about it. So it's a four-hour drive.
1: It's, it's a time of COVID, so we stuck completely to ourselves the entire drive.
0: And that's something we just, we argued with ourselves a lot about responsibility Mm -hmm. and like, you know, responsibility of COVID and bringing it back or bringing it to somebody. So we decided we weren't going to stay up there. We weren't going to eat at any restaurants. Um, but then there's also the, you know, responsibility of being on the road and adding more confusion to the whole situation. Um,
1: Though the numbers of people out on the road right now are significantly less than this time of year last year yeah. or the year before.
0: Well, and a lot of people, you know, are working from home now so they yeah. don't have to commute. So se- Seattle traffic wasn't as no, it wasn't bad wild at all. as it normally is. Um, so, you know, I was looking at the listserv mm-hmm. and trying to figure out where it was, where the owl's being seen because we don't know Seattle that well. And we got up there, and I found out that the location was like, I think it was Boston. It was
1: Boston, and, and,
0: second, and second and Third Street. Third, yeah. And so we get out there, and like, I don't know about you all, but when we go to a rare bird sighting, I always kind of assume there's going to be a group of people sitting there and stake it out, and like, I can just walk up to the group of people and be like, "It's right there." Be <laughs> <they're> like, "Okay, <laughs> great, that was easy."
1: Um, Which wasn't the case in 2013 when we came when we came out to the floor. No. There was there it, it had been there long enough. The people weren't staking it out anymore. And so I, I was kind of on the impression impression that it wasn't going to have a stakeout around it. It was going to be just kind of because I was like, well, it's been almost a whole month this thing yeah. out here. So I, that's that was my thought process is I'm not looking for a group of people. I'm looking for the owl.
0: So anyway, so it was like it's on the west side of this um, this house. You know, you can see it easily from the alleyway. Mm-hmm. So we're like between second and third street on Boston, just like driving around and then making bigger concentric circles out further. Driving every and single block. Further,
1: yeah. Um, so to, windows down, sunroof open, kind of looking, trying to trying to see what we can see.
0: Yeah, and then we saw somebody with a camera, like a big, you know, DSLR. And I was like, Oh my gosh, Eric, we should pull over and ask that person if they've seen this owl. <laughs> <laughs> and he thought that was weird, so we didn't do it. <laughs>
1: Well it was again back back to covid like I don't want to I don't want to get close to people I don't want to just just to be as responsible and as careful as we can cuz because of where we work and what we do
0: yeah, and so um, yeah, we drove around this neighborhood a lot more, like maybe an hour or so, mm-hmm. and I was getting like super frustrated because we were just looking at all the roofs to see if there was a big white blob. And on none top of, of it. none of the
1: roofs looked like what the picture looked like.
0: And the that alley people had
1: from the last couple of days. Like
0: we were trying to make an alleyway out of this um this driveway, driveway because it said like you can see from the alleyway, and so we were like looking for that, and we we're like, I guess it's a driveway. <laughs> and so we drove back in there, and nothing, nothing, nothing super frustrated so i was like looking at the listserv more and i was like texting my friends that live out there like do you know where it is i was texting random people on twitter like where did you (laughs) see this bird (laughs) and then i realized on the listserv it said um that it was boston second and third street north and then i was looking at the map and it said it was near the trader joe's which was on the other side of the highway Mm -hmm. and it said boston second the listserv said Second and Third Street West.
1: Yeah, so there's a West and there's a North. So you, oh my gosh! When 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 you're looking at list serves and if you're going to chase something, and people are giving like these very detailed directions, which were very good directions and very detailed and very um, accurate, you have to actually read the whole <laughs> the whole instruction. Not uh, like we we like I looked at it too, and I just I my mind cut off the the West at the end of it because here in in most of Oregon. The streets, the way, the way the syntax for the street is, is it's address number, then the direction, yeah. north, northwest, what, whatever it is of the section you are, and then the name of the street. So it'd yeah. be like, northwest, hemlock. Yeah. Um, but up there, and I've noticed this in, in Washington a lot, I've noticed this in other places too, but it'll be like, address number, street name, and then the south, the, or, the whatever. south or whatever. So it'll be like, 23rd south. Instead, so it's like, so I I almost always cut off the last little bit because it's like, okay, well after street, it's not important anymore. Well, I but, also figure, but it is if, important in some places. I
0: figure they're not going to have the same street name, like just on the other side of the highway. Like, you're not going to have you have first south and first north. Like, I mean well, that just but, makes it more confusing. A, a
1: lot of times those roads connect, but like in this in this instance, maybe they maybe if you look on a, on the full map, I didn't look that carefully at it. But a lot of times it'll be the highway is the divider between. North and south. And so everything north of the highway is north this. Everything is south. Or if it's going diagonal, maybe it's north and
0: east. Oh my gosh. Or it's like it is. like New York. I could never live in New York. Yeah. Like meet N- at the intersection of six and 6th. You know? No. <laughs>
1: Num- numbered streets intersecting. I can't do that. Yeah. No. <laughs> Addresses.
0: <laughs> Good for you all that can't. <laughs> it's too complicated Yeah. So
1: we were on the wrong, we were on the wrong street. We
0: were on the wrong street. And we like went over to the right street. And of course there's a crowd of people there. Was there. A crowd.
1: It wasn't a huge crowd. There was, I think, nine or ten people there. That's a crowd. It In, in COVID times, that's a crowd. Yeah. And, and it was also the middle of the afternoon on a weekday.
0: Yeah. So, so we got out of the car. There was, like, a local that lived in the neighborhood They walked past us and saw our gear. And they're like, look for the owl. And we're like, yes. And she was like, it's up the alley. Let me show you. <laughs> and there were people, like, coming out of their houses, like, excited about it. Yeah. Which is just super cool, you know, how many, how excited people are about seeing a bird
1: mm-hmm.
0: when they're well, not necessarily birders. And
1: they're, they're not necessarily birders, and they're putting up with birders in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, like, just to, like, just put it out there at the beginning of this conversation, or kind of the beginning of this conversation. <laughs> we're a long ways is, in. <laughs> we're a long ways into this conversation. But um, this, I, I said there was, like, ten people there. People were keeping their distance from each other. Yeah. Every single person had a mask a lot of people had a mask and a face shield on, mm-hmm. a plastic face shield over them. Nobody was sharing optics. Nobody was basically close to each other. And we were at pretty significant. The, the owls on top of the house, and the house, the property was is a full-size lot, as far yeah. as I could tell. So you had a big backyard and a big front yard. The house the owls in the middle of the middle of the house next to a chimney just kind of chilling out. And it was just doing its thing. It was stretching, yawning. It threw up an owl pellet at one point. It's just, <laughs> it's just kind of hanging out, and doing its thing. And everyone's staying quiet. And everyone's like whispering and having trouble hearing each other through masks and face shields and whispering from like six feet away from each other. So, COVID regulations were all followed as closely as they could possibly be, considering there was a group hanging out outside. And the owl ethics were being followed as closely as. I could tell there the owl was not didn't, didn't appear to be bothered. The people who were taking photos were taking photos with giant telephoto lenses Mm -hmm. from a distance. So like my, my pictures, I got some pretty close to full frame pictures, but it's with a 500 millimeter lens standing almost a full block away from this bird.
0: Well, and I, I have to say like how much I appreciate phone scopes now because like I have my phone scope that I attached to my Koa, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, you know, scope. And like it's it's a great tool for like education purposes. And also like there's a lot of kids and people who don't know how to use spotting scopes, mm-hmm. which you know is fine. But you can attach this thing to your your scope and then attach your phone to it, and then you can show them it's a window to what's going on inside. Yeah. And so like and it works
1: be- great for COVID right now too because then they, they don't have to get very close to they your don't scope have at to, all. They don't, they have, don't have to have touch, touch it. it.
0: Yeah. yeah, and so, like, I had a handful of people, you know, that were walking through, and I was like, you want to look at the owl? And so I'd point them to my phone, and I was like, take a look, and, you know, step back so that they have some space. And and take,
1: take a couple steps back, they step up to the thing, and they could just look look at your camera.
0: I know, that's, yeah, it's amazing. It's really been a lifesaver you know in a couple situations where it's like i don't want you to touch my scope (laughs) (laughs) don't touch my
1: stuff but (laughs) but look look you have to see you have to see this bird in here
0: well and also i mean it it takes great pictures too i mean depending on like your phone obviously that's the the key thing there but i got some great pictures of the owl too just on my cell phone oh i know
1: They're, they're just as good or better than the pictures i got with the with the dslr like it's it takes great pictures the iphone has a really nice camera on it and then you add a really nice lens to the nice camera. And then all of a sudden it's a winning combination.
0: Um, so anyways, so we we're anyways. in the alleyway, uh, you know, a handful of people there. And everybody was just super excited to see this bird. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Eric and I went to the front of the house to get kind of a different view of the bird.
1: Because it was like, it had its back to us. And it was just kind of, it was facing towards the west over the top of the peak of the house. So I was like, oh, let's see, see if we can go to the go around to the street side. Instead of standing in the alley and get a picture of like its belly, like because I want to, I want to get a picture <laughs> of its face. Because I, I got a ton of pictures of its back with it turned over its shoulder, looking or looking away from us, or, or doing stuff that where it's it's faced away from us, not really caring. <laughs> So I was like, let's, let's go to the front. Maybe it'll care. So, Maybe it'll look and be interested.
0: So I went to the front of the house. It coughed up an owl pellet. And this, <laughs> this gal that was... Uh... Which
1: if you've never seen an uh, owl cough up an owl pellet, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's a hilarious... like. So I think some people posted some pictures on Facebook of not this... It was like the next day or the day after we coughed yeah. up another pellet. But it... Like, and obviously it's eating enough if it's able to cough up pellets daily. Yeah, seriously. But um, somebody else got a uh, photo montage of it just as it goes through the whole process. of (laughs) Throws up the owl pellet. It's hilarious.
0: Well, this this gal that was watching (laughs) the bird with us, she like races over and she starts dissecting the owl pellet. Because
1: it bounced down the roof and then hit the edge of the gutter and didn't go into the gutter but then bounced out and landed in their driveway and kind of rolled down to the street. So it was like, it was basically all the way out on public property.
0: I don't know ethics about that. Like, personally, I think having any part of a bird or, you know, messing with any part of a bird is discouraged because yeah. of, you know, migratory bird laws and all that stuff, but...
1: It's just going to decompose on the sidewalk, so well, she picked it up to
0: speed I mean, up
1: the decomposition.
0: Like, owl pellets... Because she wasn't going
1: to take it and keep it.
0: Yeah, but owl pellets, like, you can, you know... Um, dissect in school and like yeah. I bought thousands of them mm-hmm. to dissect at the park that I worked at so I guess it's not a big deal but it was just, <laughs> just it's also a little
1: bit unsanitary
0: oh yeah totally because
1: because the ones you buy for school are sanitized um, are sanitized and they're 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 like farmed and then sanitized so they're they're good but it was just funny <laughs> but this is a wild owl pellet so that i don't know what what this lady found in the in the pellet she picked up because that's about the time we left <laughs> well like, okay this is enough yeah <laughs> now of I... people are picking up the vomit <laughs> 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 this party has gotten out of control <laughs> we're we're gonna step out <laughs> <laughs> they're picking up vomit So, owl pellets aren't vomit. They are... When when owls eat um, food, there's undigestible bits. The bones, the beaks, the claws, whatever it is. The fur. um, In their... uh, Just before their stomach and their... um, Crop. In their crop, the... It kind of gathers up all that undigestible bits, compresses it into a pellet, they eat all the, the, the rest of it gets digested, and then they throw up the undigestible bits. So it's not really vomit.
0: How is though. it not vomit? Just be, like, if it, it goes go- in their mouth and then comes out their mouth, is not that vomit? But it
1: doesn't go to the stomach. So? It only goes to the crop. Okay, I that's think. That's as far we, as it makes it. We need
0: to Google the definition of vomit, then. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think
1: if it comes from your stomach, it's vomit. If it comes from your crop, it's a pellet.
0: I feel like I've thrown <laughs> up stuff that's in my, in my that's esophagus. In, that's, that's
1: in your crop? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyways, um well that would make squirrels vomit up nuts. Cause yeah. They keep it in their cheeks. Um so anyways, so saw the owl super exciting, just an absolutely gorgeous bird. It's hanging out, it was hanging out on um the rooftops of, you know, this neighborhood in Seattle and um you know, tons of people have gone out and seen it. Like mm-hmm. Eric said, um what we experienced was people being respectful. It that's not to
1: say that's what everyone's doing, but that, yeah. that's what we experienced while we were there.
0: And, you know, we, it, it's probably getting, you know, pretty good food because it's around houses and there's lots of rodents.
1: Yeah. You it's, know? it's an old neighborhood that has lots of old, lots of older houses that probably have a lot of places for rats to hide.
0: Yeah. And it's, so. it's got to, you know, it's kind of similar to a tundra because it's like this open landscape with rooftops all over the place.
1: Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it, like I said, it's, it's been there for like a month. And it's coughing up owl pellets daily, so it's it's eating, It's doesn't seem to be really bothered by people for We're the most part. We're not experts at all. Not experts at all on this, but I, I think like ba- based on the behaviors that it was exhibiting and the fact that it's coughing up owl pellets and just hanging out not seeming bothered, that it's probably doing just fine, just kind of waiting out the winter.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we got home, we stopped at Nisqually. National Wildlife Refuge mm-hmm. to look for a northern trike because that is our current nemesis species still
1: still nemesising
0: got there at dark <laughs> yeah. so we didn't see anything no. um, but got back to uh, back to the homestead and had some lifer pie some coconut cream lifer pie mm-hmm. to celebrate seeing a snowy owl
1: yeah so a great lifer pie for a great lifer
0: oh seriously <laughs> such a gorgeous bird seriously I can't wait to see another one
1: yeah. So, thank you guys all for listening to our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed it and or learned something new. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music. Um, I wanted to make up another podcast thing again, but I can't think of one, one to make up. Anyways, any anywhere you can listen to us, you can find us. Um, find our podcast. Um, if you want to connect with us on the socials, um, you can follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding on Instagram.
0: Hannah with an H, Eric with a K. Um,
1: you can follow our Facebook page, Hannah and Eric Go Birding. You can uh, follow our Twitter at WeGoBirding. Email us at HannahAndEricGoBirding at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at GoBirdingPodcast.com. Tell us what you hated, tell us what you liked, and share us with your friends.